Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Gallant View Rangers podcast. My name is Colin McDuff and I'm delighted to be your host today as we continue our journey down looking out with the world of Rangers into the Premier League and the world of football in general. And we've got another couple of offers over on a chat about the book. Uh, today I'm delighted to to bring on Peter Prickett and Peter Thornton, authors of Moments That Could Have Changed Football Forever, which is a, a detailed study and they reveal what if moments that could have shaped football and what the alternative could have been. Um, first of all, uh, Peter Thornton, thanks very much for coming on. Oh, no, it's great to be on, Colin. Yeah, we love talking about football. That's how the book started. <laughs> Well, I've, uh, you're on the right show for that then. And of course, Peter Prickett, thank you for coming on, my friend. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, that's, uh, I can't wait to get cracking with a chat. Brilliant. So, without further ado, I'll, um, before we get right into the book, um, which is a really good read, um, I've really enjoyed reading that over the last couple of weeks, um, tell, us a wee, tell the listeners a wee bit about yourselves. Obviously, um, this seems to be a, a labour of love, um, this book, um, both massive football fans. What's your footballing background? I, I always say football had me at hello at Langworthy Road Junior School in Salford when uh, our our team, our school team won the cup and I was six and they brought the cup into assembly and the effect that the cup had on everyone in the room and I thought, I need to be in that. Uh, and I, I tried as hard as I could to get on the school team and then eventually I got on the school team and and that was it. Football has been part of my life since then. So I, um, I uh, played to the best standard I could, uh, and then I became a coach, as you as you often do when you've got kids yourself. I became a coach then. Although to be fair, the first coaching badge I did was at uni because I was I was right into it even then. Uh, and then I um, 
became vice chairman of a junior football club, vice chairman of a junior football league. And then for my sins, I became a director of the Lancashire Football Association. So my involvement with football has been like at every level and I've loved every minute of it. And um, luckily, along life's path, I bumped into my great friend, Mr Prickett, on Twitter uh, and we struck up a, a great relationship pretty much straight away. We, we, we're on the same page with football, but I'll let him tell you all about his football journey now. Uh, yeah, well, if we're if we're bringing up our our youth experiences, um, I was I was an all right footballer, played for schools, but but the claim for claim to fame for me there is my my last schools cup final. We actually played it against uh, Peter Crouch, who's a local. Um, he got a couple of goals in the game, but we scored six and and beat them six two. So it's, it's a nice one, little one to just quietly have on the CV but as we're bringing up those those formative days uh, um, I'll drop that one in um but as a player all right but uh, later in in my in my adult life I got involved in coaching uh, did various qualifications became an FA tutor at various uh, various points and from that written four coaching books and now this is my fifth book well and it was really interesting and that was i was thinking about this when i was reading it and i won't go into too much spoils yet we'll come here a couple of chapters I really enjoyed but some of the tactical analysis that you went into and even for some of the you know the the weird and wonderful fantasy games for example that can never happen and um, that really does shine through and i was wondering where you both got that but obviously your experience in coaching and you know playing the game as well that that did really shine through me myself the listeners know I love football history. Um, you know, so I, I first started getting into football late nineties, eighteen for ninety two before. I just love it. I, I think it's especially with like my club Rangers being quite a you know, quite a long tenured uh, tenured um, establishment. That's you know, I, I love delving into the you know, the, the black and white ages and that's really came through as well. And I suppose leads me on to the next question that how did this idea um, for this book come along? Well, <laughs> I, I always say we, we sort of both, I know it sounds a bit of a cliche, but we both sort of had the idea. Um, I'd been mulling uh, sort of a moments that changed football idea. And then Peter, um, we'd met, like I say, we'd met on Twitter and, and, and Peter tweeted that he was, he was writing uh, a, a blog um, that was uh, what if Messi and Ronaldo uh, played together. So I'll let him take the story up from there. Yeah. So anyone who's been on social media in the last decade would have seen the regular scraps between the Messi fans and the Ronaldo fans and never the twain shall meet. And one particular afternoon it had well, been quite wearing. Um, and I just tweeted, why can't we just uh, enjoy them? Why can't we use our energy that we're piling into this useless versus debate in some other way? Uh, could we imagine what if they played together? 
I thought that could be an interesting blog. So I actually, I recruited a couple of people and we, between the three of us, we each came up with our own version of how we thought it would have played out, tactically particularly. Uh, and it got a, a good reaction, but it sparked debate. And Peter T picked up on that and went to me, we need to write this book. Yeah, we needed to do it as a book, you know. It, like I say, we'd both sort of come at writing. I mean, I've just for my background, I'd ri- I've written professionally in advertising and marketing, and then I, I was lucky enough to work with a lot of football clubs. And you, your love of uh, history of football, I, I wrote a lot of stuff for the night. Well, I wrote the National Football Museum when it opened, so it always, you know. And, and then I met Peter on Twitter and Peter's knowledge of football is, I promise you, encyclopedic. Don't Google anything. Just ask Mr. Prickett. He'll tell you matches from way back when, like you've never heard. But we, we what was great, as Pete said, when once we started the germ of that idea, from my advertising background, you always know it's a good idea when people go, oh, yeah, and you could do that and you could do that. And between us, very quickly we'd come up with, you know, half a dozen to a dozen. And then one famous Saturday afternoon, we met in Manchester in a hotel and we chiseled out, you know, what you what you have in the book, you know, the, the 28 chapters. We, we sort of filtered down the ones that we thought, you know, would be most attractive and be good to write, I think. You know, that was one of the considerations, wasn't it, Peter? Mm. What did strike me is the the range of the topics in the chapters and I'll, I'll be honest like when I'm reading a book I do prefer the way you've done where we don't need to read it back to cover I can like that so I went to a certain chapter first and foremost but it's not really every chapter's his own story but I do like the range where you've got some fantasy football matches you've got some dystopian alternatives but you've also got the sliding doors moment of the things that we we know nearly did happen and very did happen and quite a big range of football alternatives um how, how do you narrow down for 28 because the the game's been going near 200 years now how do you narrow down 200 years of history of sport in the 28 one of the things that happened and i'll let pete take up the story in, in a sec but what we try to do is not just, you know, if Sergio Aguero doesn't score that goal, City don't win the title. You know, it's like one dimensional. So one of the first ones that Peter wrote was the Eric Cantona. So he'll explain why that is such a good one. Yeah. And so I'll just go straight into it to Eric. And we know Eric Cantona retired very early as, as a player. He was still. I think he was 30, he might have been close to 31, but he was very young as a player. Probably a good four or five years left in him at Manchester United. The question that I ask is what happens if he continues playing? Now, there's a lot of knock-ons, and from those knock-ons, it's quite possible that United don't win their famous 1999 treble because Cantona's replacement was Teddy Sheringham. Teddy Sheringham had a pretty poor first season at United. So they went out and replaced him with Dwight York. Now, for the 99 treble season, the York and Cole partnership is pivotal. 
and then showing him scores in two cup finals that they win. If Eric's still there, those two players just aren't at the club and everything would play out differently. It's quite possible that the United fans will all just say, yeah, but we'd have won the treble in a different way. And that's fine. That's the point of the book. Your version of what you think will happen is just as valid as ours. We just happen to have written ours down. And... And uh, forgive me, I, I can't remember the whose um, whose opening chapter it was. Uh, the prologue into the book. Um, one of you did write down that it's meant to spark debate. You've written yours down, but yeah. it's, there's no right or wrong answer. And I tested that this theory and work uh, over the last couple of weeks. Already, think blah blah blah. Some people were like, "No, great, Aye, that's a great show." Others nearly launched me out the window. <laughs> and I suppose that is. <laughs> uh, I, I think we a lot of this you've really captured. The, the debate you have in the terraces at halftime, walking to the, me walking to the game with my dad, like one of the major questions is my dad's favourite ever Rangers team was 92 93 Rangers, mine's is 2003 Rangers. Who beats it? It's that age old debate. There's no right or wrong answer. You can't prove it, but it's um, it does spark debate. Yeah, I mean, that's like a, one of the matchups in the book, isn't it? You've got your own fantasy matchup there with your two Rangers teams. And one of the great ones that, uh, you know, that Peter writes about is the Real Madrid Galacticos. You know, the 1955-60 team plays the 2002 team with Zidane and Ridaldo and Beko and Figo. And, you know, you get that recency bias. Uh, I think, Pete, you did a poll, didn't you, on Twitter the other week and... Uh, you know, they were all going for the, uh, you know, for the 2002 team. But if you look at the 1955 to 60 team with Di Stefano and Puskas, you know, I know where my money would have been, you know. So it's that's that's the fun of it. That is the fun. I'm trying to picture the 2002-3 Rangers team. Is that, um, are we talking Michael Moles and yeah, that so- yeah, Barry Ferguson, Michael Moles, Amoruso, yes, Ronald De Boer, uh, and a wee bit of bias here. That's the uh, it's the first full season I remember watching every Rangers game, and we won the treble as well. But I mean, it's, you know, it's strong. It's got that's some uh-huh. some some heavy some heavy hitters there. But it's the the ninety two ninety three team, or indeed, it's like the ninety three ninety four team. They get a, a big mention in the book because of uh, the chapter. Dedicated to Rangers and Celtic, and I think that leads us nicely on. So, as I mentioned earlier in the interview, I've picked up this book and I've went to one chapter as soon as I've seen, I've seen it, and it's "What if Rangers and Celtic joined the Premier League?" It's um, an age-old debate up here, and it's never going to go away. Um, also, there's I think the, the debate for what would happen if they joined now is a completely different podcast. Um, but what I really liked is, is the level of detail you go around to. You've added an extra layer on because up up here on the terraces, we'll chat, oh, we're a big fan base. Give us five, six years with the TV money. And whether that's right or wrong, um, there's probably an appetite to, to, to feel like we would do well. But what you've went and done is really added the context of what the Scottish game and the English game was like at that point in time. Yeah, I'm... So the first first season of the, of the English Premier League, first season of the Champions League, same year at 92, 93. And 
fortunately for our purposes, Rangers, champions of Scotland, faced Leeds United, champions of England. And Rangers won comfortably. Both games, 2-1. With John Lukic not necessarily covering himself in glory at, at certain times for Leeds. But that was a really strong Rangers team. That Rangers team was essentially a point away from reaching the Champions League final, where they'd have uh, faced uh, Milan. Milan. And there's also the caveat of that Marseille super team then being forever clouded in controversy because of the match-fixing. Yeah, Marseille is a bad word in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So, Rangers were, by to all intents and purposes, the best team in Britain at the time. And whether they would have beaten Manchester United head-to-head throughout a full season, it's, it's up for debate. They may well have done because United weren't, head and shoulders above Aston Villa and Norwich City. But the other heavy hitters of English football are nowhere to be seen in that Premier League season. So I think Rangers would absolutely be top two or top three quite quite easily at that time. What always gets me about this debate is the sort of sanctimonious uh, angle that people, you know, like football administrators take, you know. Uh, And yet the precedent is there that, you know, Cardiff have played in the English leagues for time immemorial, you know, for a long, long time. And and we've been doing some research on what might be the next uh, book, the next moments that change football. Um, You know, and you, you read that Rangers played in the FA Cup in 1887 so all the precedence of you know like oh we can't have scotland play in england is nonsense because it's already happened what what i love about the game in 1887 is rangers played a team called church and church is a place just over the hill from me which is basically a church a pub and about six sheep so the idea of rangers playing church is like is hilarious and I think uh, they got to the semi-final that year and lost to Aston Villa 3-1. Now, if Rangers had won the FA Cup then, I think a lot of that sort of sanctimony would have gone out the window, you know, and we'd have got it a lot closer. You know, and, and as me and Pete have talked about this a lot. As, as, as fans of football, and especially, you know, big city football fans, you know, the idea of Celtic and Rangers playing Liverpool and the Manchester clubs and the big London clubs What's not to like about that? You know what? You know you see it when they drawn together in Europe. You know that that clash. But I'd I'd much rather what you know see my team play uh, Celtic and Rangers than you know play the teams on the continent. You know I, it'd be brilliant and it'd be great for the game. I think and it, it'd obviously be a great boost for the Scottish game. I, I you know I, I really believe that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Definitely, and I think it's... Um... It's one of these debates that's never going to go away. And if it ever was to happen, the debate will then change the answer, right? Should they move back? And I think it is going to, going to stand the test of time. Um, a, will it happen? B, what happens if it does happen? Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of kind of stuck in between two where I would love to see Rangers com- compete in a bigger league. But at the same time, it's... Do you then sacrifice being the, the big fish in a small pond? But um, you, you kind of, you know, if that's almost like a dystopian alternative, then if, you know, for want of a better word, um, the next one I wanted to come in was a, we touched on a, a couple of fancy football matches as well. And uh, you've already touched on the Real Madrid uh, for the 50s against the Galacticos. One that I did really enjoy, however, was probably because I, I'm a bit more familiar with both teams. Everybody knows the 1970 Brazil team, and there shouldn't be anybody um, over the age of 10 who, who <laughs> doesn't know the Spain team of 2008 2012. Um, again, like how I know. You've added a wee bit of context, both with your coaching knowledge and because I really like how much you broke down the tactic, tactical side of both teams. Um, but how much digging did you actually have to go in there, like even the you know, the, the, the historic part of the Brazil team? I guess it was definitely a chapter that took a couple of goes because I did have to watch games, I had to watch at least three or four of Brazil's games to have a good look at what they were doing. Um, Spain, I've watched watched the three finals for Spain to to remind myself of how they changed from 2008 through to to, to 2012. Um, And it was when I stopped, I had to stop. I had to go and write another chapter. I had to go back to it again because it, it was... That was probably the hardest one because even when I wrote um, Hungary versus Holland, that was easier. When I wrote Galacticos versus Galacticos, that was a lot easier. This was probably the most difficult one. And it also was absolutely no question of it not going in because it, Brazil are like a, I've used the term before, sacred cow. If you question the greatness of Brazil in 1970, the social media alert goes off. We had it last week, didn't we, Pete? Pete, Pete. Yeah. We, we, we were trying to publicise the book and said, oh, you know, and put the fantasy match up on and this guy came on, didn't he? Go on, tell him. <laughs> said that I was dis- disrespecting the greatest team of all time. I hadn't, even, <laughs> I hadn't even revealed who I thought would win the game. And I do believe that Spain would win it purely because the the line that I took was that you can give I wouldn't 
give Brazil modern techniques, modern fitness levels, etc., etc. But you can't give them tactics they don't have. And tactically, they didn't press at all. So the question that I just could not for the life of me answer was how do Brazil actually get the ball back from Spain? And I couldn't figure out an answer. Maybe someone with far smarter uh, tactical knowledge than me could answer that question and find, yes, this is how Brazil win that game, but I couldn't manage it. So I have slayed the, the sacred cow and <laughs> turned it into a, a burger. I really so, love the contrast of both of you putting a, a balanced approach onto the aspect that is social media, where it's a world of extremes, there is no balance. Um, uh, it's, it must make for some. I think some that's fun one reading. of the things we. It's one of the things we're really proud of because I'm, I'm going to do the big reveal now. You know, I, I've supported Manchester City since 1968, and Pete's like lifelong Liverpool fan. But despite that huge rivalry between our clubs we've managed to take that step back and hopefully remained objective. And I think what hopefully comes across in the book is that we're both first and foremost fans of football, really. You know, obviously I love my team doing well, but ultimately, you know, we're fans of the game. And, and I, I, I think um, that's what helped the book, you know, come to fruition as much as anything else. Was it your idea to uh, put Pep Guardiola in uh, my League 2 team then? <laughs> I, I really love the imagination that uh, Bob the chairman and, <laughs> and Lee the yeah. striker. Uh... <laughs> well, yeah, it was fun to write. You know, because uh, it's what I say at the start, Pep, you know, on social media, Pep divides the class, doesn't he? He's either a coaching genius or, you know, he's a fraud and can only do it if he's got a billion pound checkbook. But I was, for my sins, I was so much into Guardiola before he joined City. You know, I'd read all the books and, you know, I just, I, you know, I think that Spain team, which was basically, Bas you know, a lot of Barcelona, the Barcelona team of 2009, 2011, you know, is, is probably the best football team I've ever seen, you know. And so, yeah, it was... I, I, that's where we come at it. You know, it was it was one of those that is always on social media. I'd love to see him coach, um, you know, Rochdale or Oldham. So we invented the team Oldale and uh, Pep comes and coaches Oldale and, and see how he gets on, which was very, which was great fun to write. It almost felt like, um, do you remember the old um, football manager games where you used to create your own club? I felt like I was in that and just like yeah. the, um, it, it was, it was, it was a really fun chapter. But it, we did a, we did a lot of research and, you know, so I'd read a lot of books and, and Pete knows a lot about Guardiola and you can sort of mirror things, you know, you can reflect on the decisions he took when he took over Barca B to get rid of some of their big stars and to bring in young players, I think he's exactly what he would have done at that level. You know, swept out the old and brought in new, exciting players at that level and, you know, malleable kids and see where he went with them. And so there was a lot of things that you could you could mirror that, um, you know, I think I'd like to think made it realistic as opposed to just, you know, a, a complete fantasy. 
the like I mentioned at the start, as well as the the fantasy, then like applying, you know, your almost a wee bit of guesswork and um, and some devised research into what would happen if you went you know, if if you lifted and shifted into a fantasy world, there is a few sliding door moments um, which we all remember, you know, we've got like, what would happen if Stephen Gerrard's thing for Chelsea? What would, you know, Peter mentioned at the beginning, what happened if Cantona did stay on? Um, That's, like, how were they more straightforward to do the sliding door moments or what would they like to, to write about? I think they took slightly less research in some ways. And they were more about uh, the imagination. Although there's one of the sliding doors moments is um, Abramovich buying Tottenham Hotspur instead of buying Chelsea, which I did stumbling around looking for some some interesting things. And I found an interview with Sven Roran Eriksson. And he describes meeting Roman Abramovich in a London casino because Abramovich wants to discuss which of the Moscow clubs he should he should buy. Um, and then Ericsson describes a couple of weeks later, he gets a phone call from Abramovich saying, Chelsea or Spurs? And Ericsson says, if you want to win now, go for Chelsea. So that one actually took a little bit more research because... I had to look at what the squads, the relative squads were like, who were the first signings, who were the likely managers at the time, mm-hmm. uh, who was who could have been available, who would maybe not have gone to Spurs but would have gone to, that did go to Chelsea and all that. So who would they have kept? All, all that sort of that became quite a, a complicated chapter. One of the, I think one of the chapters that has the biggest ramifications in terms of, you know, what could have happened is the Munich air crash because it isn't just what would have happened with Manchester United. So there's United on the brink of uh, challenging Real Madrid during their period of dominance. What would have happened to the England football team in 1962 and 1966 is massive you know, the, the number of players that would have come into the England team uh, out of that great Manchester United team. And, and we like, you know, we lost them, the game lost them. And we'd have been talking about them even now, you know, and, and the changes that that could have affected is, is as big as anything. I think we write about. Definitely. We'll, we'll talk about, you know, as you say, a historical moment for club players and, you know, a footballing nation as well. And it, it does really, you know, like we, we know football has an impact on culture and like the, the makeup of, of certain decades through history. It, you know, it's a huge one. And again, that sliding doors, you know, like what is it for impact? Uh, I, I did quite enjoy um, seeing... Um, the names of Dan linked with uh, Blackburn Rovers is one of those as well. Um, gave me a chuckle. Cra- Crazy transfers is, is one of the great chapters in the book, isn't it? And uh, go on then, Peter. We give him the quote. It's the greatest. It's the greatest football quote of all time. So he uh, he Zidane is on the brink. The deal is almost done for Zidane to join Blackburn Rovers rather than go to Italy. Um, but the chairman, Jack Walker, 
vetoes it with the now infamous words, why do we need Zidane when we have Tim Sherwood? <laughs> Which we think should be done as a T-shirt at least, shouldn't it? <laughs> oh, if I thought better, I should have like prepped a wee banner across the bottom of the screen. Just wait that quote. That it would have been so fitting. But it uh, is. It's it's brilliant. That quote. Yeah. We love that one. The the very last one I want to ask you about, and it's probably I really enjoyed it. Well, I enjoyed how much it, it scared me. Um, it was almost like watching reading a horror book. Um, this chapter, um, and probably a stark reminder to, you know, <laughs> careful what you wish for. I myself, like any football fan, get extremely frustrated with the offside rule, and um, you know, I, I I do have this irrational hatred every time I see a linesman wear a flag. But um, I really liked the chapter. What if, what if there was no offside rule? And again, probably what drew me to to this one was my, my love of football history through the the tens, the twenties, the thirties. How the game changes, and I did like you've really done your homework. And the you know the the late eighteen hundreds, how you know association football was different for rugby, and we had the different rules and how the game really changed throughout that. Yeah, again, uh, that involved us as doing a, a lot of research. You know, it not just into the early football games, but how different football games developed. So you could see, like the Australian rules football. They sort of, you know, you can you can see in in the Irish versions of football. Um, what you get um, is a, a much bigger pitch if that big if the, the there is no offside rule to start with. But the thing that drew us to that is, and it does start from a coaching sort of point of view, and I think, with greatest respect, you know, a lot of football fans miss the idea that it is the offside rule that gives football its fluidity. That back line moves up and down and the forwards have to move with it and the game ebbs and flows because of the offside rule. The minute you get rid of the offside rule, we can stand anywhere on the pitch. Well, I don't think it takes a genius to know what, people like Sam Allardyce would have done if his goalkeeper can just shell it up the pitch to the other end where a group of tolls jump for it. I think you lose all the beauty of, the, of our game if you take the offside out of it. However, what happened recently, of course, we now have VAR, which we're both on record as saying we absolutely hate and deplore because it takes the spontaneity out of the game. So, you know, Colin, you just said about the, the linesman's flag and you got those, you know, you got those occasions where, you know, you sent a forward a goal through, smash it in the net, you'd all jump on, go, oh, the flag. That was all part of it. The, 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 that spontaneous moment, you still had it. The flag went up. Now we all stand about for 10 minutes, don't we? Where some chap just outside London, uh, his line as a look and it's it's all there for the TV audience. So yeah, it was it was that was another one where we 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 did a lot of chatting between us, you know, on, on that one to to sort of work out exactly what it would look like and we came to that conclusion that it wouldn't be the game that we have today. No, I really um I, I never really thought about it that way. It's like obviously 
football is an attacking game. Um, but I, I think one of the lines in it is um, that you know the the fluidity and it, when you when you I can't remember the exact quote, but the onus is on the attackers to problem solve, and that is really what we. That, that's why you fall in love. I mean, like you have your. You, I, think, I always say you fall in love with a Maradona, a Messi, a Ronaldo, you then learn to really appreciate and adore a Maldini, but you fall in love with, my, my example is always Alan McCoyst, you, fo- you fall in love with football because of Alan McCoyst, but you do, uh, you you might, you might attach yourself to a club because they're Richard Goff, um, and it's without the offside rule, we don't have that. Um, I think it's you know one of my bit one of my backgrounds in football is you know junior junior football and you know when the kids foundation phase when the kids first start playing football and when they do and you know you get those small sided games you don't get kids trying to take advantage of the fact that there isn't an offside law the kids just play whereas the minute you you sort of get into the offside law then people try and take advantage of it and. What I always say is that whenever they change one aspect of the laws of the game, coaches will work out a way to get around it or to take an advantage out of it. I thought you were going to say no one grows up wanting to be Gary Neville, but (laughs) the attackers versus defenders, but it wasn't quite there. Uh, as as a as a former right back at amateur level, um, I, I stand with Gary in that one. Um, so, um, <laughs> right back union, <laughs> right back union, absolutely. Um, well, I think um, I don't know. I think I'll probably do as well, uh, gents. Um, I, I think we've given enough of a snippet um, of the of the book um, to hopefully urge listeners to to go and buy it. Um, so. Um, well, where can our listeners find the book? Where's best to go and get it? Uh, well, Amazon is the very obvious choice, but um, it is on the bookshelves at your local Waterstones. Um, I say that Waterstones haven't put it through every store. So my advice, if you don't want to buy from Amazon, and there's a lot of people who don't want to, Go to Waterstone's website, put in the name of the book, put in moments that could have changed football forever, and then click on the click and collect button and put in your postcode or your, your town or city, and it will tell you where the nearest copy available is. We would love it if people went to Waterstone's and bought it because that means every copy that goes, they have to order another one. And every time they have to order another one, they'll start thinking, oh, this is selling really well. Maybe we need to put it in the other waterstones and and add and add more copies. And that that would be great. That's that's our our ideal. But if you can't be bothered to leave your home and you just want um the, the lovely local postie to bring it to you, Amazon's your your go-to. Amazon, they're taking over the world, eh? but as always um, with these interviews, uh, the links will be in the show descriptions wherever you're getting your, your podcast, um, so nice and easy for you to click on the Waterstones website um, and get a copy of the book. Um, all that's left to do, gents, is a massive thank you for coming on, um, starting with yourself, Peter Prickett, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. Pleasure chatting, thank you for having uh, us and indeed me on 
And of course, um, the the second P, Peter Thornton. Thanks for coming on today. Uh, it's, it's great. It's great to hear someone who's got a similar view on the history of football and is as much into it as we are, Colin. So it's been a pleasure. We really enjoyed it. And of course, to all the listeners, thanks very much for watching and we'll speak to you again next time. Take care. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.